Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Humans have the ability to make music from pretty much anything. When I was younger, my friends and I would bang out beats on the lunch table using our hands and a pen or pencil. The late hip-hop artist Biz Marquis even had a song touting his talents at making music with his mouth alone. What I'm getting at is music is a human creation, or at least it was. Advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning have led to AI-generated songs. You may have heard Frank Sinatra singing the Lil Jon hit, Get Low, especially if you caught our promo on air. While some people are amused by the novelty of such interesting um, collaborations, others are worried about the impact that artificial intelligence will have on the music industry and musicians themselves. Later this hour, we'll explore AI-generated music and its potential impacts on the music industry in our town. But first... It's time for At Us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I'm encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at our past week is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Hey, Andrea, how's it going? Hey, it's going great, Khalil. Awesome, awesome. I imagine that things may have been a bit quieter than usual in our DMs over the past week or so. Yeah, it's been crickets for sure. Um, <laughs> but we did take a week off air, so it makes sense. Yes, we do this every now and then. It's a chance for us to get out the studio and spend some time, much needed time, in the community with you all, which is hard to do when we've got a new episode to work on every day. Yeah, I really was thinking every day last week how many hours there seemed to be in the day, you know? Yeah. And that's just not how it feels like, when we're pulling off a daily show. The most important hour to us is noon. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, there's something else. I mean, for real, I got to talk with a bunch of folks last week. Yeah. If anyone uh, caught Khalil out in the community, he was walking around like the farmer's market and Aldi, a liquor store. Uh, with a sign that said, I'm on the radio, talk to me, it's free, which yes. I love. <laughs> yeah, we were giving out free interviews. <laughs> I also met up with Jerome Moore from Deep Dish Conversations, and we got to get into a talk because he has this wonderful podcast and has conversations with people every day. I have conversations with people of Nashville. It was it was a pleasure to, to get to to get to know him a little better. Yeah, I love that. And I also love he tweeted a photo of the two of you and wrote, this is what Nashville looks and sounds like, which I agree. Yes, yes. Also that week, we had a belated one-year anniversary party to celebrate the launch of this show. Yeah, this was really special for us. Um, we... We wanted the celebration to be about and for the community that helps us do this every day. Um, so we came up with an invite list that's that was made up with uh, sources we talked to on background, guests who've been on the show, people who are in our DMs constantly on Twitter. <laughs> um, now, we couldn't invite everyone. That would have been more than a thousand people at this point, And the venue only held 120. Yes. Um, but so many of you guys showed up and it was really, really wonderful. You know, to me, it felt like an awesome house party. Yes, those, definite house party vibes. <laughs> definitely. You know, we set up an audio booth where guests could leave messages for us. One of the prompts was, what do you want people to know about your community? Here's one from Rashed Farkudin. 
I love your show. It's rocking. It's the best radio talk show I've heard ever. And it's very engaging and it's very connected with the community. And that leads to what are my hopes to the city is for us to be very connected, get to know each other, live with love and peace. And I think through your show, that's how this is one of the building blocks to achieve that peace and love in the community. This is Nashville. I love that. Mm -hmm. Rashad is so cool. He's been such a great guest, but also he's a great community connector himself. He is. He is. He's truly awesome. Show guest Harmony Dengue from Antioch was there, too. Let's listen. I wish people would keep knowing that Nashville is a very progressive city, especially for a southern city. And it is very diverse with a lot of different like perspectives. There also is a thriving international community here. And I am happy to be a part of that community in Antioch. I will see signs in Amharic. I see signs in um, Spanish. And we speak French in our house because my husband is an immigrant from the Ivory Coast. That's great. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Harmony also uh, is a loyal This Is Nashville Twitter follower. Um, she's also been a guest, but after the party, she updated her profile photo on Twitter and it now has our logo in the background from a picture she took, a selfie she took at our party, which I love. Mad props, (laughs) Harmony. Mad props to you. Now, I want to play a clip from another guest. Lori Forte is a descendant of Promised Land, which is a town near Charlotte that was established and settled by formerly enslaved people, which we featured in an episode last summer. She's also on the board there. Here's what Lori wanted to share. I wish that the people of Nashville knew that North Nashville is a beautiful community with a rich history, and uh, I want the show team to know that we appreciate all that they're uh, sharing with us about our city that we didn't know before, and my hope for the city is that it would become um, a welcoming place for the residents and not just for the tourists, and this is Nashville. That is totally something I, I feel like we hear from a lot of our from a lot of our guests. Yes, we do. Um, okay, let's play one more. This okay. one is from Marquita Hill. I would like the show team to know that they are doing a magnificent job showcasing and just broadcasting and showing just different perspectives and um, interesting facts, uh, people and things in the community. What are my hopes for the city? My hopes for the city is for there to be programs that can keep citizens that have been in homes, that have been in communities for years, um, to keep them in their communities, to keep them in their homes. That's my hope. This is Nashville. Well, on that note, since we're back in the saddle, let's get to what our listeners have been talking about. Yes. Uh, it feels like a while ago, but before we headed out for that week off, we had an episode about arming teachers. Yeah, I know. That one was buzzworthy. Definitely. Uh, we heard from a lot of people during and after that episode, including Rose, who's a retired Metro teacher of 10 years. She sent us an email and wrote, quote, I wouldn't trust some of my colleagues to have a loaded weapon. I think teachers have enough on their plates without worrying about defending their class with a loaded weapon. 
They work as teachers, parents, social workers, and nurses. That's overloading their responsibilities. We also heard from Twinfish on Twitter. They tweeted, quote, yeah, big nope. Arming teachers and more guns in schools are terrible ideas. So we had another episode that week that got people talking on social media and in our inbox, and it was not one that I quite anticipated. It was our rodeo season episode. Ah, yes. Let me guess. Animal rights advocates. You know it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I totally get it. Honestly, rodeos are high-key violent, uh, as you have witnessed. Oh, yes. Uh (laughs) Um, I will say our producer, Rose, talked with our guest beforehand in the pre-interviews about animal care and cruelty. And if you did acknowledge that animal abuse is a problem in rodeo culture, but um, yeah, our guests talked about how they work to care for their own animals. Um, I did a little more research and there are definitely certain events at rodeos that are more cruel and questionable questionable than others, like calf roping. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I could see us doing the, an episode next season on, on next rodeo season that focuses on animal abuse and efforts to to prevent it in rodeo culture. Yeah, I'm down. So am I. All right. We're in the midst of Nashville's mayoral race. We've got some big coverage plans coming up. But Andrea, tell the people about our first step. Yes, we've got a special Citizen Nashville episode coming up next Friday. And this one is not focused on the candidates. It's about you all. Mm. So we want to know what your most urgent needs are this mayoral election year. Essentially, we want to crowdsource priorities for our next mayor. So as always, we want to hear from you. Head to thisisnashville.org and tell us what you want from our next mayor. It's a short form and it will help inform next week's episode. Okay, one last tweet before we go. Okay. From local historian, wonderful show guest Betsy Phillips, Mm -hmm. on behalf of our number one fan, her dad. Okay. She tweeted, my dad is insisting on taking me out for my birthday, but we can't eat until one because he needs to listen to Khalil and this is Nashville. So she says, I know where I stand in the pecking order. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Phillips is an awesome man. And and Betsy is just truly She's truly a treasure to Nashville. Everyone, that is our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope. Thanks for this roundup, Andrea. Yeah, always. And don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll get a sense of the current landscape for AI in music and ask, what's the big deal? How do you feel about AI-generated music? Share your thoughts by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Caliole Colonna, and this is Nashville. Artificial intelligence is appearing in our lives at an increasing rate. The media is full of think pieces about the advantages and disadvantages of this emerging technology. How will it affect jobs? Are we moving too quickly with it? Can it be regulated? While the jury is still out on those questions, the technology pushes on. Over the past few months, AI-generated music has come to the forefront, enabling anyone to recreate the voice of any artist, living or dead, and create new songs and collaborations. Like it or not, that era is here. So, how will this impact our music industry and musicians? My next guests 
are here to talk about it. Craig Havikhurst is an editorial director at WMOT. He's been covering music since 1998. Melody Walker is a local songwriter and artist who hosts Weekly Writer's Kitchen at Jane's Hideaway. And Dr. Nathan Adam is a professor of emerging media at Belmont. Thanks to you all for being with us today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Okay, so we... Hi. So, you know, we got to start this off with some music. Last month, a track dropped featuring AI-generated vocals of artists Drake and The Weeknd and pushed this conversation of AI music to the forefront. Here's Heart on My Sleeve. She need all I need, all she blessed, ay, giving my best, ay, yeah, got my heart on my sleeve with a knife in my back, what's with that, ay, 21, I love them, they're my brother, that's my stat, ay, Metro made the beat, so you know that it's gon' slap, ay, yeah, it's gon' slap, ay, time run it back. All right, that's the new hot AI track, Heart on My Sleeve. So, nice. you know, this track was made by TikTok creator Ghostwriter977 using AI vocals. Melody, tell me, as a songwriter and artist, how do you feel about what we just heard? Uh, I, you know, I don't really know a lot about the background of that track. I mean, I am not worried yet because, as I understand it, our copyrights and the, the legal just hasn't caught up to exactly how you deal with a co-write with AI. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that TikTok creator uploaded the song to streaming services like Apple Music and Spotify. Then Universal Music Group, the label that Drake and Weekend belong to, had the song taken down. Legally, what's the problem here, Nathan? Well, legally, right now, the, there's it's not a settled question who owns the likeness of a voice. Um, so in this case, the record labels would have a really clear case. If you're advertising something as being one of our signed artists, then, uh, and you've modeled that voice without our permission, which came from recordings, presumably that they made, uh, then yeah, I think at this point they're just wanting to maintain control while all of the rest of it is being litigated. Who owns something that an AI created? So, so that's a big question. I think, uh, well, one of them at least. Mm-hmm. One of many. Now, yeah. now, Craig, you're a writer, but you're also a musician. Since music has been mass produced, there's been advancements in technology. Mm-hmm. However, you know, I think we're we haven't seen anything like this before. Yeah. What makes AI tech different from analog tapes and albums switching to yeah. CDs and compact discs? It's a really great question, and I think it comes down to that word generative. Uh, we are in a. We've used AI and music and uh, learning models like the engines that recommend you new music in your streaming services, which are really powerful. I use them. I value that. This uh, generative AI is technology that uses what it's learned about scales, uh, arpeggios, harmonic progressions, rhythmic patterns. Uh, stews them all together and makes this sort of random, arbitrary remix with some set of rules that even the creators of the technology don't totally understand. They talk about the black box, the mystery of how did it arrive at that, you know. Um, Mm. And it's it's created a sort of set of almost moral hazards for the creator, for the music creator, of what I would, I think, analogize to cheat codes. I really haven't 
tough time with an, a melody here. I don't, I've got some lyrics, but what should it go to? Let's go to this free app and have it spit out several melodies. Oh, I, I want to tell it that it's going to be uh, melancholy. And it creates a melancholy uh, uh, melody. Well, if you use that melody, um, then you haven't really entirely written the song. If you did that same thing with a co-writer, you'd have an understanding and a legal framework and a and a kind of sociological back back background that would share credit, right? Hmm. Now, I understand you make roots and bluegrass music, right? It's what I cover, and it's my it's the music that I that I most relate to. How do artists in those circles feel about AI-generated music. <laughs> My little quip about that is, uh, you know, with with uh, apologies to Gloria Steinem, that for roots musicians, AI-generated music is sort of like a you know how, like a fish needs a bicycle. It's just <laughs> not something that they seem like they would brush toward. I think that everybody's kind of like interested in those new G whiz moments, and the track you just played to me is a G whiz wow little thing. It's hard for me to understand how it leads to a new world where we're constantly listening to the voice of somebody else layered over this song. Like, why? Mm. I actually think that's probably one of the main reasons that Nashville as a whole, while the business model will continue to change, that, that writers and producers and stuff don't need to worry about AI like replacing their jobs because there is a gee whiz moment to this modern, oh, wow, the, the AI, I don't think actually wrote the song in that case. It just was used to model the voices. Well, that's going to be litigated down and figure out who exactly owns it and whether artists are required to sign over likenesses of their voices to labels, et cetera. Mm. Um, you know, and, but otherwise, currently all the tools that can generate generate music, um, they can do some amazing stuff that really is going to change like the stock and library music industry just to where you can create fairly generic music, even stuff that's starting to sound pretty good now. So that will yes. definitely be a shift for them. But like it's not going to change the way bluegrass and roots music works. Now, some creative people may look at AI as cheating. You know, you're getting mm. a computer to do all the hard work and not a human Nathan, you know, have we seen examples of technology making the practice of creating music easier? Well, making, I guess, yeah, you could certainly think back to a bunch of different examples uh, from the, the PC revolution as we moved everything from analog tape and large format consoles into a computer. Um, all of a sudden, the cost of recording and producing dropped by a factor of 100, and everybody could do it. So all of a sudden, there's more music now than there's ever been. So we've seen that democratizing access to music production and creation. We saw tools like Autotune that democratized access to accurate pitch mm -hmm. um, and for, for both effect and for sometimes just cleaning up something if uh, if you don't have the time or budget to stay in the studio long enough. Will AI do that by an order of magnitude more? Probably so. But I think that'll generate a lot of music that does, doesn't necessarily get listened to. Um, and like a Photoshopped image today, that doesn't necessarily grab somebody's eye because it's Photoshopped. I think AI music will be the same. Now, I have apps on my phone that allow me to bang out beats quickly. Yep. Sure. Uh, Madlib, the hip-hop producer, makes, makes a lot of his music on his iPad Pro. Yeah. Is new AI tech any different from that? Hmm. Uh, I mean, it is different. There's a lot of differences from the ability to model a voice accurately, for example. That's new. Um, and, or being able to just automatically generate uh, loops and, and beats and songs. 
Um, I don't think we've seen an example yet, although we probably will to where it's able to create something that's really fantastic, but that doesn't mean that it's going to connect with an audience. People don't, I mean, there's, there's some parts of the industry that go to watch, for example, a DJ, uh, you know, put on a live performance mm -hmm. and they're not there to see necessarily the band. Uh, but there's a huge part of the industry, especially here in Nashville, where people go because they want to see the artists that they connect with in their music. Mm -hmm. And that I think stays the same, regardless of if AI is cranking out an extra 10,000 tracks a day that nobody's really listening to and connecting with. You know, since it was introduced, a lot of people have played around with AI chat GPT for mm -hmm. various writing projects. Melody, you're a writer. Have you used chat GPT in your writing? Uh, I've not used it in my writing, but I got really, really obsessed with testing it out and experimenting with it back in December. And I found, um, you know, at first I was troubled because it can write a mediocre song that is indistinguishable from, you know, your middle of the road kind of pop music and, and lyrics, which aren't that deep. You know, if you look at Max Martin lyrics, mm. you know, they're indistinguishable from ChatGPT. But the thing that it hasn't figured out yet is how to not plagiarize because... Mm. If you give it a sort of vague prompt, it will spit out a vague song that is completely passable, right? But if mm. you give it a really specific prompt, this is this is what I started testing. Oh, wow. I wanted to know, I looked at some specific song titles that there's never been another song like that, right? So I looked at Octopus's Garden. Hmm. Uh, that was the first thing that came to mind. And it ended up writing a song with a lot of beneath the waves, in the shade, a lot of like the same lines. And then it got me thinking, okay, so is it going to plagiarize like 50 ways to leave your lover? Hmm. So I said, write a song about there being 50 ways to leave your lover. And this is what it gave me. Um, some of the lyrics that were included in, the, in this was, I could slip out the back, Jack, or I could make a new plan, Stan. Now, oh, is wow. that going to hold up in court? No. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Paul Simon will definitely have something to say about <laughs> that. He's going to have something to say. Yeah. yeah. So have you talked with other songwriters in your community? How do they feel about it? You know, I don't think this is on the radar of a lot of songwriters. I, I don't think they're they're worried. I mean, there might be some cause for worry, but I think I think once the legalities are sorted out about, you know, who who owns it and if they can get it to not plagiarize, it's it's just a tool that you can use. Like you can use it to generate word banks. You can use it to generate random titles. You can use it to create rhymes. It's actually not that great at rhyming, weirdly. You'd hmm. think that that's a pretty basic function, but it's terrible at it. It can be, it um, can be okay with, uh, <laughs> with the right prompts, but yeah, it still is definitely something right. that's got to... No, it actually, it actually isn't. I tried to teach it how to rhyme better and create half rhymes and it just can't do it. <laughs> um, but it will be there soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's dumber than we think, you know, but I think that this is no different than the drum machine and arpeggiating synths and 1980. I think it's, you know, no different than everybody having GarageBand with Apple Loops on their computer mm -hmm. standard. And I think it's just a tool that people can use. Even before that, you were talking about, Craig, you were talking about having it give you random prompts. Well, you know, aleatoric music was using the I Ching to do that, you know, with like John Cage mm -hmm. back in the day. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it's no different from that. But there are a lot of legal gray areas that really need to get sorted out. And tech likes to jump first and ask questions later. And we just need to like slow the roll and figure that out and set ourselves up for success in the music industry, which we have not always done with emerging technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think that uh, 
I like the the slow your roll is is kind of the general ethos. Just like this is very interesting, very powerful, but it's not something we need now. And there's this rush in sort of the media to celebrate the the latest track, the latest thing, the latest advance. Um, and I think that the real concern for me, while I hear, I think people in music will, will be very mindful about all this. I think by nature, they're going to be cautious. Uh, what I, my concern is for the consuming public, because they've already been put in a very, in a re relatively passive place by the structure of the music business and especially streaming and delivering playlists with, you know, the mood and the time of day or this music to study by. And it kind of takes the consumer out of the active choice making things that goes from one that sort of leads from one pool of artistry to another and makes historic connections. And in the space where younger people are seeing AI music manifested, it's uh, new apps that are making promises to them that I think are very deceptive mm -hmm. about the ethics of music. So if, if you have time for just one sentence from the lead copy on a on a uh, AI generated Please. thing called Boomy is an app mm -hmm. which I looked at. Quote. Here's what it's telling the consumer. Make original songs in seconds, even if you've never made music before. Submit your songs to streaming platforms and get paid when people listen. Join a global community of artists empowered by Boomi AI. There are half a dozen errors of judgment, morality, and just the whole uh, value of music in that one sentence. You're not making songs if it, the machine does it for you. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about AI-generated music with Melody Walker, Craig Havockhurst, and Dr. Nathan Adam. And we know there are musicians with thoughts about this out there, so tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, we got a tweet from Mary Rudy at This Is Nashville. She says, quote, I don't even like pitch-correcting software. It's too perfect and has no warmth. AI has no soul, no depth, no character, no life. If Lily Pons or Robert Johnson sounded that good on a scratchy 75, imagine hearing them live. How do you guys respond to that, Nathan? Uh, I mean, I, I can totally understand. I think music is a beautifully human thing. And uh, and there's great tools now that help us create it or create new types of it in genres. Um, and uh, and not every style or genre is for everybody. So I, I wrote, I think, the first book on auto-tune. And I also don't like a lot of the things that people do with it. But it has been useful in creating all sorts of uh, songs that people listen to, whether they realize that tool is used on it or not. I think AI is going to be another one of our main tools. Now, purists would say that the switch from analog to digital, the sound of the music, it degraded it. Mm. You know, it's not as pure. We listen to an album as you are when you listen to head, using your earbuds to listen to tunes. Now, Craig, are we seeing something similar where the quality of the music released will decline because of the move to AI generated music? I definitely believe that once AI generation, it becomes institutionalized and it's being fed to music services and to, to try to tailor to individual people that it will make a ton of mediocre music, which we really don't need. And I think it's a real tra uh, a loss of uh, an opportunity cost for every consumer that spends even three minutes listening to a mediocre computer generated track versus the three minutes they could have spent listening to anything made in the last hundred years that was really good. Um, and I, I do think that uh, I, I take fidelity really seriously and I love audio. 
I'm not a believer that analog is inherently better than digital. I think digital can be astoundingly good. It's, a, it's an incredible set of technologies, and I've embraced every one of them until this one. Uh, and I, even in this one, I'm ready to embrace individual use cases. Elements of it. Once somebody says, here's, the, here's what we need, here's the way AI is helping, and here's the result, and here's the intention and the thought that went into making this new experiment, and I'll go, wow, it'll be like Brian Eno inventing ambient music when that didn't exist. You mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Well, And one of the things people loved about analog was not that it was better or the fidelity was better, maybe than early digital, but certainly nothing in the last 20 yeah. years, uh, but that it imparted a character, uh, you know, not a human character, an electronics, a magnetic character onto the music that people that grew up in that era loved and attached to. So I think there will probably be some elements of that, too. You know, every genre, we already have copycats and clones of the hottest new sound. Sure. Melody, do you worry about that? Do you worry that the ease of AI will create more music that sounds the same and lacks distinction? I think that pop music in the industry has always been a copycat and it's yep. been really, really terrible about that in the past. And I think that they're going to have to step up their game because I, I think there's going to be a huge backlash to the AI thing and there's mm. going to be a premium on folk music. This is going to be the next folk revival, in my opinion. I think so. And I'm, I'm here <laughs> for it. I'm ready for it because people want that sense of magic. Like, I don't necessarily ag agree with them, the commenter that that you read their their comment because uh the the consumers the fans love to think that there's some magic to it and that they can always tell if there's auto-tune and you can't babe you can't i'm telling you <laughs> like it the technology is that good almost everything that you love and listen to probably had some kind of auto-tune on it and that's fine and it didn't take away from the magic but i think i am a little bit afraid that we're gonna see an overcorrection toward like super meandery diary entry <laughs> hyper personal and that's like not my favorite kind of songwriting but like you know phoebe bridger is gonna make a killing in this in this economy you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so like i i think that that it's gonna be great for folk music great for really specific personal music and then that stuff like all that pablum that you hear on you know love is blind reality tv shows and stuff i'm sorry but those people might be out of a job because yeah. that stuff is all based on mediocrity copycatness sameness and that's so, not going to be the thing so you're same. saying mediocrity is on the decline i'm all for that, I think that it, the yeah, more it formulaic that effect. anything that's more formulaic formula is what Computers do well. Okay. So. Okay. Now, yeah. Google is experimenting with their own AI model, Music LM, that generates high, quote, high fidelity music from text descriptions. You know, we thought we would have a little fun with this. Mm -hmm. So Google experimented with using text descriptions of famous paintings as prompts for songs. So this is what I want to do. I want to play a short clip of this AI-generated song, and I want each of you to guess which painting this is based on. The paintings are Van Gogh's The Starry Night, Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory, that's the Melting Clocks one, and Edward Munch's The Screen. Y'all ready? Yep. Okay, let's listen. I 
Okay, so I want to give each of you a shot at this. Do you think that song's based on Van Gogh's Starry Night, Salvador Dali's The Persistence of Memory, or Ed- Edvard Munch's The Scream? Craig? Just based on its somewhat randomness, I'll say the Dolly, but it's... Okay, Melody. It sounds crazy over Zoom when whenever there's radio sound. So I only caught little bits of it, but I thought that I heard like a clock chime kind of thing. So I'm going to go with the dolly as well. Nathan, that's where you're going. Okay, yeah. the answer is based on Ed- Edvard Munch's The Scream. <laughs> Interesting. There you go. Yes. Wow. From this Encyclopedia Britannica description, quote, inspired by a hallucinatory experience in oh. which Munch felt and heard a scream throughout nature. It depicts a panic-stricken creature simultaneously corpse-like and reminiscent of a sperm or a fetus whose contours are echoed in the swirling lines of the blood-red sky. Unquote. Well, that's the song I would have written with that kind of description. <laughs> I, can see, I can see that on liner notes. I was waiting for the scream, frankly. I was ready for a Anything. big old scream. Those are crazy liner notes right there. All right, I don't think anybody's going to be too eager to download that track. But, you know, Melanie, tell me, as, as a musician, how do you feel knowing that a bot composed and performed that? You know, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I think I think it's great. I'm pretty open minded when it comes to music. And I think it's always been the social element that makes it what it is, that gives it the magic. Right. Like the sounds themselves. It's just organized sound. That's all music is. Right. Mm -hmm. So anybody can organize sound. And in fact, you know, bird song and things that happen in nature can be somewhat organized sound. Right. So it is the, the meaning that humans imbue it with that gives it its power. Melody Walker is a songwriter and musician. She was joined by Dr. Nathan Adam of Belmont University. I want to thank you both for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll thank see. You. We'll see where all of this leads. Craig Havinghurst will stick with us through the break. We have to take. When we come back from break, we'll explore the impact of AI on the business side of the music industry. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Artificial intelligence could soon be the biggest shakeup to the music industry since the introduction of streaming services. With the ability to use AI to create music, write lyrics, even use vocal models of other artists and songs, questions of ownership, intellectual property, and pay have come to the forefront. Now, before the break, we discussed the nuts and bolts of how AI music is made. Now let's talk about the legal implications of this emerging technology. For that, I'd like to introduce my next guests. Jeremy Brook is an entertainment and business attorney and the founder of Brook Law Firm. And Charles Alexander is the CEO of Launcher and Outside the Box Music, which helps artists promote and increase their streaming numbers. Jeremy Charles, thanks for being with us. Welcome to This is Nashville. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Really cool. Really excited to have you both. Now, the artist Grimes has come out in favor of this technology and has welcomed any artist to use the AI model of her voice for songs as long as they split the royalties with her 50%. Now, in a tweet last month, Grimes said, quote, I think it's cool to be fused with a machine, and I like the idea of open sourcing all art and killing copyright, end quote. 
And just last week, LA-based artist Keto released a track with Grimes, AI vocal called Cold, Cold Touch. Let's listen to a bit here. We waited for the drop and it came. So <laughs> this song, <laughs> this song, like Heart on My Sleeve, was still created by a human, just using AI vocals. The big question for a lot of musicians out there is how AI-generated music will affect how they make the money for their music. So, Charles, how will musicians pay be affected by this? Um, first of all, I want to say that track is what you would call a banger. Okay. Um, and... I just think it's amazing that Grimes did this. And for a point of differentiation, you should know that on Spotify, that song is on a separate profile than the Grimes Spotify profile. It's on the Grimes AI Spotify profile. Mm. So you don't see this. I think she might be a feature. Um, but for the point of differentiation, when you go listen to this on Spotify, it's on a separate profile. Um, I, I think it's brilliant. You know, I'm a big fan of artists having self-determination. And so she decided to open source this, but open source this where she's making her own revenue in a space um, where we don't necessarily have sort of existing law or precedents in terms of how you get paid. And she's making up her own rules. I think it's brilliant. It's the Wild West out there. It is the Wild West. And she's going to have, and she's not on a major Right. Mm. So she can make up her own rules and do what she needs to do. And just imagine if there's like 20, 30 and, you know, some of them might be like keto who are professional producers. But this is also we were just at Music Biz, uh, the Music Biz Conference last week. And there's a new term that's kind of cropped up. You know, we've had a lean back, which is like radio or Pandora, lean in, which is like Spotify and then now lean through. So fans want to be part of the experience and there's nothing stopping a fan who has production chops to kind of engage with her in this sort of mechanism and mm. share revenue okay yeah okay a little bit like when they let stem gave stems to individuals and let you sort of mix sure uh, yourself just sort of yeah but you're using ai tools in case your own production skills might be a little bit more limited. I got it. I got it. Now, the closest reference I can think of is like the use of samples, yeah. which has a labyrinth effect when legally looking to release music. Jeremy, do we have any legal precedents on how this all can work? Yes and no. Okay. We have some cases that inform the legal landscape, but we do not have any statutes or case law that tells us exactly how to handle AI-created works um, from a legal point of view. The Copyright Office has espoused a position, which is that machine-created works are not subject to copyright protection. And they've developed a bit more nuance in saying that to the extent a work is partially created by a human, it is subject to copyright protection, but it becomes very hard 
to parse out which parts of a song, for example, or recording are created by a generative software model or Mm. AI and which parts were created by a human. And even more specific questions than that, if, if it did use a generative software but a human told it what to do, how close is that to pushing a button um, or strumming a guitar string? So I think we have more questions than answers right now. I think the general consensus is that the courts would probably agree with the Copyright Office. But right now, we don't have any real firm black-letter law on this. Is it going to take lawsuits to figure this out? Well, there are some lawsuits in the works right now. And so I think we'll have some law on this pretty soon. There's a case, uh, the Thaler case, in the District Court of D.C., uh, uh, Stephen Thaler, the plaintiff, has sued the Copyright Office for rejecting his copyright registration. He invented some, he calls it, I think, the creativity machine. So it's software that he invented that is AI generative software. It has made some inventions and he sued the Patent and Trademark Office. He lost that case. The uh, court said that uh, patents do have to be invented by humans, but that's a different set of laws. So he's now got this case pending against the Copyright Office. They rejected his um, his application for registration outright. And his arguments are that, you know, well, this is really no different than a camera uh, where, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, telling it what to do. Um, I invented this. I created the machine. Um, and he's also arguing that you know, he's sort of being punished for his transparency and that there are probably lots of people that have created AI-generated works that have just submitted applications for copyright, didn't or co- copyright registration, rather, uh, didn't disclose the machine-generated piece of it, and they got their registration. Mm-hmm. And the, the Copyright Office is arguing that it has to be human-created in order to... Um, be subject to copyright protection. Okay. Now, Craig Havighurst is still with us. Craig, you know, Spotify, other streaming platforms, they're already using AI to develop and tailor playlists. Why not use it to create the music itself cross-cost-free? See, that's the that's the touch point in the industry that most has me worried about a thing that could get out of control. Because as I mentioned before, the audience, some part, a large part of the audience can be kind of passive about, I just want pleasant sound to be coming through my, my uh, computer speakers or my earbuds. And this allows potentially these companies, the streaming companies to generate tailored soundtracks to every individual in real time, to like literally invent songs on the fly that have the vibe and the feeling and the mood of the time of day or your particular mood. You can, you could, you could move a slider and say, I want the music to be more energetic or I'm working out or whatever. Uh, Every track they play that's, that they built out of their computer is a track they don't have to pay royalties for. So Spotify, Apple music, they have, I don't, I don't know where they're going with this incentive right now, but they have huge incentive to create ongoing, infinite factories uh, for uh, just kind of digital gruel that I would think robs the listener of a huge part of life. I mean, that that really does take the art out of music. You know, many artists are very upset, particularly local artists, um, with the current pay rates of streaming services. Jeremy, what would potential payouts to artists look like with this? It's a little hard to predict that, but I think that 
if it takes a while for us to have some good law on how to treat these works, I think the least expensive option will be for the streaming services to just treat them as they do any other work. I think it will be in the absence of some really effective software that can tell what part of a song was created by AI and what part was created by human. I think it's prohibitively expensive to parse through 120,000 tracks a day mm -hmm. to see which ones are which. Um, and then, you know, I think you also have the uncertainty of the possibility that there's some law that comes down later that says, oh, yeah, you actually owed these people royalties that you didn't pay. So I think it will sort of be business as usual uh, until there's some other business solution or uh, there's law that says otherwise. Okay. Now, Charles, let me ask you this. Hmm. Are record companies jumping into the AI-generated music train? Oh, yeah. Um, Universal just did a deal with Endel last week. Um, and the scenario that was painted in the Music Business Worldwide article is um, Taylor Swift puts out a record and Universal gets to take that record and then create a soundscape or sleep version of that record. And this was from the um, head of, I think, the Digital Innovations Group at UMG. And so, yeah, I think, you know, labels are uh, it's sort of like this strange dichotomy. In, in the public-facing stuff, they're like, oh... We're going to control every piece of AI that's out there, make sure it's off the services, and then simultaneously making deals with companies that are do, you know, creating AI products. It sounds a lot like the Napster era when mm -hmm. they were against Napster and doing mm -hmm. backroom deals with Napster. So I, I think it's here to stay. I think the labels are going to be probably one of some of the more aggressive entities in this space. Um, and I think it's, you know, it behooves artists to figure out what they want to do here and empower themselves um, as to the kind of creations they want to make. Just so as long as the labels don't create like the AI rapper FN Mecca. Um, <laughs> right. I don't want right. any, any right. more of that yeah. trash out there. Yeah. You know, it seems to me, and this is solely my opinion, that, you know, fans of music, sometimes they don't care too much about how the artists are paid. They just want their music. They want it when they want it and how they want it. Craig, do you think that AI will cause some people to ask themselves questions about mm. what the music they listen to means to them? Man, I, I really hope so. I think that's been one of my big uh, things that I'm sort of preaching about this is that this is a historic watershed. And how often do we have a chance, a sort of an impetus for the entire society, uh, creators and listeners, to go, well, wait, what does music mean anyway? What really is it? And I maintain it's a transaction between a creator and a receiver, a listener. It's it. The intent is not the same as the way it's going to be received, but there is a, a medium of exchange. It's an exchange of empathy and energy and beauty and, and, and emotion. Mm. And I don't understand how anyone could be satisfied by receiving something that may sound pleasant to them, but has not, has no in, emotional uh, aspect to its creation. And I think that we will see uh, people having this conversation, and I welcome it. I think it's important. Now, we got a tweet from singer-songwriter Peter Millsap. It says, quote, a Parker Millsap, Parker pardon Millsap. me. Quote, he says, quote, AI solves a problem that doesn't exist. There are millions and millions of competent human artists. Jeremy, what's your response? He's not wrong. Um, you know, we we were just talking outside about how there is already too much music for anyone to listen to that's human created. Nathan was saying that. And but but I think that any any new tool 
sort of finds its place. And I think that every evolution of music technology has made music easier to create. It's lowered the barriers to creation. It's lowered the barriers to distribution. And the industry has always reacted with some hand-wringing to it and, you know, not necessarily unjustifiably so because everybody's always worried about uh, the status quo being upset. Um, and, and, and that's okay. But we've always bounced back. I mean, this goes back to the player piano and radio. And then, of course, we all know about downloading and streaming and the effect they had. So, yeah, I mean, do we need streaming-created music? Maybe not. But could it provide – I'm sorry, do we need AI-created music? Uh, maybe not, but could it provide some benefits? Yeah, I think it could. Charles, how would you advise a client, a local client, who's coming up in the music industry? How would you advise them to use AI-generated music in their work? Um, I'm, I'll get to that question in a second, but I just want to respond to that thing. You know, Rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang, and T-Pain and Autotune. They've used those tools, uh, sampling and Autotune, in way different ways than the mainstream. It's for people or demographics that don't have access to conventional tools that might be more expensive or just economically they can't get to it, right? So I think, and there's a reason why the people who created uh, the T-Pain and Sugar Hill Gang look the way they do and don't have access to things that are out mm. there mm -hmm. versus the mainstream. So just something to keep in mind. Um, if I'm advising a client... You know, we have a client on our roster whom I think this is perfect for, and she's already thinking about it. She's thinking about how to use AI to create music and to do collaborations sort of with herself. Um, she's more of a blues rock artist, but she's creating stuff in the electronic genre, and she's using some of these AI tools, and I think it's brilliant. I would also look at collaborations across artists from other spaces. And, you know, I... <laughs> I would love to see a collaboration, and I know this is going to put me in a separate category, say between Billy Strings and Freddie Mercury, you know, mm. or Prince and Billy Strings. And one of those parties doesn't exist anymore. But I think artists need to start thinking about how to create and making maybe their files available. Mm. I think we'll all have to think twice if we hear a collaboration between uh, Cardi B and Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. <laughs> That's a I'm whole other thing. <laughs> I want to thank my guests, Charles Alexander, CEO of Launcher and Outside the Box Music. He was joined by entertainment and music attorney Jeremy Brook and Craig Havighurst, editorial director at WMOT. I want to thank you all for being here. I know there's a lot more to come on this. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music, Real People, LaRange and Namir Blade. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Be good to each other and rest in peace to Miss Tina Turner.